The 12 signs of the zodiac are split into four groups of three signs, and each one is named after the elements, earth, air, fire and water. And today we're finally going to get on to the water signs, so that's Cancer, Scorpio and Pisces. Hello there and welcome to Fabulous Folklore, the podcast for all things folklore, occult and just a bit weird. I'm your host, Icy Sedgwick, blogger, fantasy author and your guide into these rather mysterious realms. I've got some rare things to show you, so come on in, take a look around, but be careful not to touch anything. These things sometimes bite. Well, hello there and welcome back to Fabulous Folklore with me, your host, Icy Sedgwick. It is almost the end of January, as you've probably gathered, and it's also quite an interesting day because... Depending on what time you actually listen to this, I may be in the middle of delivering my online talk on Northern Folklore with Romancing the Gothic. It is free and I think it should also be available on their YouTube channel. So once that goes live, I will, of course, provide you with the link because I'm nice like that. We are almost at the end of this month's theme of looking at the Greek origin myths of star signs. Obviously, next week is our final episode in this little merry band and that is where we're going to be looking at actual constellations rather than the star signs so that one's going to be slightly different but this is the last one of our zodiac signs episodes we are finally on to the water signs and they are cancer scorpio and pisces i should point out i am a pisces so i've pretty much ended up being like last but not least essentially so it has been quite amusing watching people kind of asking when theirs is going to be and I'm thinking mate I'm last but anyway. Now I have noticed a bit of a strange pattern when I've been doing these episodes that didn't really make itself apparent until I'd kind of gotten to this point and that's in each of the groups of three signs you've got one sign which is actually really quite straightforward and people are largely in agreement about what the origin myth for that particular sign is or at least the Greek origin myth. So it has been quite interesting to see that play out and in this particular episode, because I am just going to jump right into it, that particular sign is Cancer and Cancer is the first of the water signs and it has the Greek name Carcinos, which later became Carcinus in Latin and then eventually Cancer and we recognise it today as a crab and William Tyler Olcott actually suggests most civilizations did but the ancient Egyptians may have seen it as a scarab beetle. It is a faint constellation, which means that some people refer to it as the dark sign, although obviously we must remember signs and constellations are not strictly the same thing. Now, like Leo, Cancer appears in the labours of Hercules, and obviously we did look at these way back at the beginning in the fire signs episode. Now, unlike Leo, where obviously Hercules was actually sent to defeat that particular lion, the crab was not one of the monsters that Hercules needed to fight. Its origins are altogether more modest. So the second labour of Hercules required him to kill the Hydra. Now, many people will be familiar with the name Hydra, probably from the Marvel films or the comics, whichever. But in Greek myth, this is the many-headed monster that grew two new heads for everyone that was struck off. Hercules would later use the poison from its fangs on his arrows and they were the same arrows that injured Chiron the centaur which we looked at in the Sagittarius episode but during Hercules' battle with the Hydra and you've got to admit that would be a fairly rubbish thing to go up against when you're like I can't cut any of your heads off because I'm going to make the problem worse 
But anyway, during the battle, a crab scuttled out of the swamp and it decided it was going to join in and attack Hercules. Now, clearly, Hercules is man size, the crab is crab size, so the only bit that it could reach was his foot. So it reached out with one of its pincers and essentially attacked his foot. Hercules, clearly in pain because, you know, that would hurt, lashed out and then stamped on the crab. Unfortunately, he did crush the crab in the process. However, Hera, Zeus's wife, who already detested Hercules, decided to put the crab in the Zodiac for its valiant efforts. And that is essentially where the story of cancer comes from. So if you are a cancer sign, that's kind of it. However, there is a little bit more to the story which does at least add a little bit more of a frisson of of something to the tail at least. And Cancer is a quite interesting sign because of this, because two of the stars in its constellation also have two separate legends as well, so you don't just simply have Cancer the Crab, you've also got these two stars. And they're known as Gamma and Delta Cancri, and they're known in Latin as Acellus Borealis and Acellus Australis. And Eratosthenes tells the story in this particular fashion. So after the Olympians overthrew the Titans, which is essentially how Zeus and his lot end up ruling on Mount Olympus, they went on to battle the giants. And Dionysus, who you may be familiar with as kind of the god of revelry and wine and all that kind of thing, also known as Bacchus in the Roman pantheon, him and Hephaestus, who we also met months and months ago when we looked at blacksmithing, they rode to the fight on donkeys. And the giants didn't actually know what donkeys were, so they took immense fright when they heard the donkeys braying, because they assumed the noise was that of a fearful monster come to kind of put paid to them, as it were. Now, as thanks, and presumably amused by this particular turn of events, Dionysus put the donkeys in the sky, and that explains these two stars. In the other version of the story, insanity struck Dionysus, courtesy of Hera, who was basically taking her fit of pique out on another of Zeus's children, not by her. And he took himself to the oracle of his father Zeus, thinking that, ooh, the oracle might help him find out how to regain control of his mind again. Now, on the way there, he came to a marsh that he couldn't cross. But Dionysus is not exactly the type to be put aside by a small obstacle like that because he noticed two donkeys standing nearby. One of them then carried him to the temple and once he was basically back to himself again he turned the donkeys into Gamma and Delta at Cancri as thanks. Now these particular stars actually flank another cluster of stars called the Fatni or the Manger and that's why people sort of think that it's these two donkeys eating hay out of a manger and they're part of this little constellation as well. There is a little bit of discussion of those and some people think that this idea of them putting both donkeys in the sky when only one of them actually carried them across the marsh is a little bit suspect and doesn't really have enough substance to it. And then the idea of giants being terrified by donkeys, again, people are a little bit hmm, really about it. But that is indeed what the story says, so you can make of it what you will. Personally, I quite like the idea of having donkeys coming to the aid of the gods because donkeys are awesome. Anyway, let's move on to Scorpio, which is pretty much the firebrand of the water signs. And Scorpio derives its name from the Scorpius constellation, and that just means the scorpion. And it's actually only astrologers that refer to it as Scorpio. So if you're talking about the constellation, it's Scorpius. And it did used to be a bigger constellation until the first century BC. And that was when the Romans changed the claws so that they became the Libra constellation. And that was what we had a look at last week. So what is the origin story behind Scorpio? Well, 
As with many of these signs, there are two different versions and they ultimately boil down to the same thing but the motivating incident that kickstarted this particular story does differ. So we are going to have a look at both of them. And the common point of the myths is that Scorpius stung Orion, the great hunter, to death. Now, Eratosthenes claims it was because Orion tried to rape Artemis, the virgin goddess of hunting. And obviously, in order to preserve her virtue, she sent the scorpion to defend her. And then Scorpius basically stings Orion and he can't rape Artemis because he dies. Yet in the alternative version, Orion is still stung by Scorpius. So that bit is the common point to both of them. But the reason why is because Orion boasted that he could kill all of the beasts on Earth. And Gaia, the Earth Goddess, was severely unimpressed by this. And it was she who dispatched Scorpius to teach him a lesson. And obviously Scorpius basically showed, actually, no, you're not going to kill everything on Earth because we'll kill you first. And Zeus then put Orion in the stars at the request of Artemis because of his hunting prowess. And essentially he put Scorpius in the stars as a reminder of Gaia's power. So either way, whether he's punished for being boastful or rapacious... Orion does pay for his poor behaviour and the stories also link with the way that the constellations actually appear in the sky because Orion sets when Scorpius rises so it does kind of look like Scorpius is chasing Orion across the heavens which I must admit I do actually find quite funny and just to be contrary William Tyler Alcott actually explains that the scorpion emerged from the earth at the command of Juno, Juno being Hera in the Greek myths but he doesn't explain why she would get involved because there's not really any any reason why she would. But Alcott does point out another reason for the importance of Scorpius as a constellation in particular, because at midnight on the spring equinox, Scorpius was on the meridian in the south, while another constellation called the dragon was on the meridian in the north. And what this basically then looks like, if you look at a picture of all the constellations, is you've got Ephiacus, the serpent bearer, who we looked at way back when in the Asclepius episode. He looks like he's actually standing on Scorpius. And then you've also got Hercules's constellation looks like he's standing on the dragon. So people felt that the placements of these four figures of essentially two groups of a giant stepping on a killer creature, people thought that couldn't possibly be an accident. There is also a slightly extra claim to fame for Scorpius because Olcott also claims that he stung the sun god's horses and this prompted their mad dash across the sky and this is linked to the story of Phaeton who believed he was the son of Apollo the sun god and he basically asks Apollo one day can you let me drive the chariot so I can show off to all the chaps at school who don't believe that you are my father he makes a complete and utter pig's ear of what he's doing and essentially careers across the sky out of control and the only way that they can actually stop this problem because he's causing havoc everywhere with this weird path that the the horses are are taking dragging this chariot across the sky Zeus has to actually knock him out of the chariot with a thunderbolt which obviously does kill Phaeton but in this particular version by Alcott it's not Phaeton's inability to control the horses it's the problem it's that for some unknown reason Scorpius has stung them he was the only one I found to actually mention that so whether that's true or not I don't know personally I think that the Scorpius and Orion story is a little bit more easy to swallow although whether it's the fact that Scorpius is trying to defend Artemis or Gaia ultimately doesn't really matter. But we are going to move on to the final water sign which as I said in the introduction is mine and that's Pisces which is the last sign of the zodiac and it really shouldn't be because due to the procession of the equinoxes Pisces is now the home of the vernal equinox. 
So it that should make it the first in the zodiac, not Aries. It also has quite a lot of conflicting Greek myths to explain its origin. Although much like the Scorpius one, they are kind of all related to the same thing. So they do conflict, but there's enough common points that you can kind of get a bit of a sense of what's going on. So Ian Ridpath notes that because the myth accompanying the sign actually happens near the Euphrates River, it's likely that the Greeks took the constellation from the Babylonians. And Robin Hard suggests that the myth actually referred to a Syrian mother goddess, Derketo. And the, the Greeks, having no Piscean myths of their own, adopted her symbol, that of the fishes, and then identified it with one of their own goddesses. And... In order to find out which one of these goddesses it was, we are going to return to the fight between the Olympians and Typhon that we talked about when we looked at Capricorn and the Earth Signs episode. By this point, the Olympians had already overthrown the Titans and the Giants, but they still had to defeat Typhon, the awful monster. So in most versions of the myth, Pan alerted the gods that Typhon was coming. And this is where he or his other form, Ajipan, became Capricorn, which we've already covered. But in the Pisces version, Aphrodite, goddess of love and beauty, and her son Eros hid in the reeds, but the goddess of love still didn't feel safe. And she actually called out with the water nymphs for help. And some believe that they turned Aphrodite and Eros into fish so that they could then swim away down the river to safety. And others think that two fish actually carried the pair to safety and were then rewarded for this by being placed among the stars. William Tyler Alcott thinks that it's actually more likely that Aphrodite and Eros turned themselves into fish because, let's be honest, they are deities that can kind of do that. But in his version, it was then Athena that immortalised the fish in the heavens, not Aphrodite herself. Now, Hygienus does give another explanation, but it does, again, involve Aphrodite. And in this legend, two fish rolled an egg out of the Euphrates. Doves then incubated this egg, and when it hatched, Aphrodite emerged. And Zeus put the fish in the zodiac as thanks. Now, that one's a little bit less likely because of the fact that Aphrodite is believed to have been born from sea foam. So why she would then be in an egg in the Euphrates? Obviously, that does get a little bit complicated. But Aaron J. Atma notes that Aphrodite's origin myth credited the fish with helping her during her birth from sea foam, which would make more sense. So he even posits that they were the same as, or reimagined as, the sea centaurs that are occasionally depicted in bringing Aphrodite ashore. One thing is clear, none of the Greek myths satisfactorily explains why the two fish of Pisces are joined by a cord. So that is essentially the deal with Pisces. So no matter which version of the myth that you look at, it still involves Aphrodite in some shape or form and then often usually involves Eros as well. It is a bit of a funny one because it obviously isn't actually located in Greece. It's quite clear that they have just pinched it from someone else and then changed the names to suit their own mythology. But that is indeed apparently where Pisces allegedly comes from. It is in a part of the sky, which does have a lot of other aquatic constellations as well, which is where they sometimes refer to as this great celestial sea, and that's kind of where Aquarius and so on is as well, which we also looked at last week. Now, people do often associate the water signs of the zodiac with being emotional, nurturing, and somewhat mystical or mysterious, and obviously none of these attributes actually come from the signs themselves. It's actually closer to the associations of the element of water. And the water signs then link with the suit of cups in the tarot. And again, you've got a range of myth here. You've got Cancer is essentially a small creature standing up to the mighty Hercules. Scorpio is the supreme defender of either Gaia or Artemis against an arrogant hunter. And then Pisces is essentially related to transformation and rebirth. So I do think it's quite interesting that you've got this 
quite big range of myths. And I do get a little bit irritated the way a lot of people, usually people who aren't also water signs, will sit and write astrological things and always refer to Pisces as being like a crybaby. And I think anyone who's ever met me or spent any time with my company would know that I'm certainly, if that's the case, not a typical Pisces. But anyway... It is a really interesting thing to have a look at the myths behind these signs because obviously so many people are becoming interested in astrology now but it will make a nice change of pace to have a look at the constellations instead next week. So I am going to pick ones that you should be able to find or that you will have heard of. Clearly I'm not going to do Orion because we've already covered them in this one but we will be looking at, I know for definite I'm doing Ursa Major and Ursa Minor because that's a really interesting story and then I'll have a look at some of the other ones as well. We are going to move back into more traditional folklore territory for February because we will be looking at protective folklore. So this was actually a request. So we will be having a look at things like how people actually protected themselves, how people protected their homes. And we have kind of covered some of this before through like trees and plants and things like that. But it's going to be a little bit more focused on those elements for February. And I may be doing a series in March, but I haven't decided if I'll do it in March or later on of sort of folklore of specific places. So not ghost stories, because I've got a lot of those, but just folklore of place. But we shall see how that one pans out. That's just kind of like a working title at the moment. But anyway, I hope you enjoyed this particular series on the Greek myths of the Zodiac. So I hope you've enjoyed it. If you would like to request anything, just drop us a message. Um, my Twitter link's below, Instagram's below. If you want to email me, it's just icy at icysedgwick.com. Please don't put an extra E in Sedgwick because it won't find us if you do. It It's just literally S-E-D-G-W-I-C-K. But other than that, that's basically all I've got to say. I will be doing the bonus episode for my Patreon supporters. That's going to be done sometime early next week. So I will be sending it out before the end of January. And we are looking at the folklore of owls and other birds of prey as well. So I expect like hawks and falcons and red kites and things like that. So yeah, um, that's it for this week's episode. I hope to see you back here next week for our origin myths of very various constellations. But in the meantime, have an absolutely fantastic week ahead and I will see you soon. Cheerio. Well, thank you for listening and thanks for visiting Fabulous Folklore. I hope you enjoyed your stay. If you did, why not consider subscribing in your podcast app of choice? If you enjoy the show, why not leave me a review and help other listeners to find it as well? And if you'd like bonus exclusive episodes of the podcast, then why not support me on Patreon? It does help me to keep the show going and it means that you get a little bit extra every month as well. And you can find all of the necessary links in the show notes below. So without any further ado, I will bid you adieu and I hope that you have a safe travels wherever you're going on to next.